Welcome to Thinking Too Hard About Anime, an anime discussion podcast. It's a little bit of history, a little bit of analysis, and a lot of over-examining the Japanese media we love so much. I am your co-host, Aaron J. Shelton, and with me, as always, is... Noah Carden. And I think we're, we're officially ending season two after leaving it for a little bit uh, of Hideakiano Domini uh, with our look we caught our shot when we first started we were going to end with Shin Ultraman and here we go we're <laughs> and here we go we we <laughs> a year and a month later uh, just in time for Shin Kamen Rider to come out in two <laughs> uh, we we never promised that it can be its own but thing that, that is true that is true. <laughs> if we want to tack that on to our next thing. Maybe. maybe. Yeah, but we are men of our word. <laughs> Here we go. We are talking about the 2022 live action film Shin Ultraman. Um, a, a reimagining, a remake uh, of the Ultraman franchise. Um, but we'll, let's let's get right into it, right into some of the details. Um, so Shin Ultraman, it is the 37th film in the Ultraman franchise. Uh, the plot centers around uh, someone, uh, a member of the SSSP, uh, the S-Class Species Suppression Protocol team, uh, a, a group organized to defeat Kaiju, uh, to deal with inva- with suddenly appearing kaiju uh one of the members is killed uh an extraterrestrial uh by the name of ultraman takes the shape and form of their that down member and helps humanity by battling kaijus and other extraterrestrials uh, who are trying to take over the earth it's a guy gets big and he fights big monsters it is a retelling of the original Ultraman series that premiered in 1966, uh, specifically episodes 3, 9, 18, 33, and 39. It's very much sort of a breakneck, uh, episodic film, uh, lovingly retold uh, by by those that by a bunch of people we've talked about in past episodes. Um, so I'll go ahead and get into the crew. That were involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was directed by Shinji Higuchi uh, and credited as the sole director for this film. Uh, again, longtime friends with Anno, uh, director of the Heisei Gamera series, Attack on Titan live action, and Shin Godzilla. Uh, the film is written, produced, edited, and motion captured by Hideaki Anno, which we'll get to. <laughs> um, we don't normally talk about producers on this show, but I think. There's some interesting names attached here uh, and some of the things they did. Uh, so some of the producers are Kazutoshi Wadakura, uh, who is also a producer on Shin Godzilla, as well as a line producer on Tokyo on, who is also a line producer on Fast and Furious 3, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> um, and a founder and CEO of Cine Bazaar, another production company. There were like four different production companies on this movie. You had Kara, Ano Studio, Toho, uh, Superaya, and Cinebazaar. Um, another producer was Takehiko Aoki, uh, just a planner on several anime series. And I think the thing that popped out to me uh, is they were an executive producer on SSSS.dine. Let me try again. <laughs> SSSS.dinazenon. Dinazenon. 
There we go. Uh, the sequel to SSS Gridman. Uh, we also have Tomoya. We also have Tomia Nishino, uh, who I guess in college wrote a thesis on Tol Narita, the original designer of Ultraman, and just a just a, a, a celebrated designer in J- in Japan pop culture anyway. Masaki Kawashima did previs production on Thrice Upon a Time, the the fourth Evangelion film mm-hmm. in the remake series. Uh, and then Tomoya Nishino, uh, who I couldn't really find anything uh, major on them. So for cinematography, we have two people listed. We have Osamu Uchikawa, who was also shooting the Shin Kamen Rider film. And then Kaizo Suzuki, um, who's probably more the, the special effects cinematographer. Uh, they did second unit uh, direct. They shot second unit on the Attack on Titan movies, as well as Shin Godzilla, uh, as well as Giant God Warrior appears in Tokyo. So someone who's been with this core group for a while. Uh, the film, the film on top of being edited by Ano, is also edited by Yohei Kirihara, uh, which it, which it looks like this is their first uh, feature film editing role. Music is by Shiro Sagisu, uh, who just who just kind of did every Ano thing ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shiro Sagisu and Ano again are longtime collaborators. Uh, so yeah, so, so yeah, uh, it's it's not surprising to see uh, Sagisu's name here. We'll we'll get. I think we'll get more. I don't think we covered him too much in this series, but maybe in another one. Uh, I didn't know this. Uh, they did a rendition of Kimigayo, the Japanese national anthem for the 2020 Olympics. Oh. Um, and then the visual effects supervisor was Atsuki Sato, uh, who, who's been in visual effects for a while, worked with Higuchi, during the Gamera films, uh, and also served as the visual effects supervisor on Shin Godzilla, and was the co-editor for Shin Godzilla. So, like the 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 boys are back in town; they're getting the gang back <laughs> together. So, uh, our cast features uh, Takumi Saito, uh, who is playing Shinji Kaminaga, our our intrepid hero, the the man who is uh, turned into Ultraman, who fuses with Ultraman. After Ultraman falls from the sky, um, he was previously featured in uh, Shin Godzilla as a small role as a tank commander uh, before stepping up to be the the main hero in Shin Ultraman. Uh, let me see, is there? Uh, uh, he's been featured in a lot of films, uh, some anime adaptations such as uh, Prince of Tennis. Uh, 20th Century Boys and Space Battleship Yamato. Um, he's also in the 2010 Takashi Miike film 13 Assassins, uh, which is sort of a Takeshi Miike take on Seven Samurai mm-hmm. kind of film. It's uh, it's a solid. I, I like it. It's it's a very good film. Yeah, it's a it's a fun watch. Uh, apparently, Saito's dad worked on an Ultraman series. I don't know to what capacity but worked on the Ultraman Tauro series. Uh, and he's also the dub actor for Hugh Grant in Paddington 2. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's great. <laughs> um, so uh, playing Hiroko Asami, an, an analyst and the, the buddy, the partner of uh, Shinji Kamanaga in the film, is Masami Nagasawa. Um, she's been acting for quite a while, being featured in uh, 
Godzilla Tokyo SOS and Godzilla Final Wars in 2003-2004, respectively. Um, she also uh, voiced Princess Yuki. Actually, no, did not voice. Uh, she starred as uh, Princess Yuki in Shinji Higuchi's Hidden Fortress, The Last Princess, uh, and as Umi Matsuzaki in uh, From Up on Poppy Hill, the uh, Studio Ghibli film. Other notable... She's also a... Well, we don't really talk about the uh, Japan Academy Film Prizes too much, which is essentially mm-hmm. n- nicknamed the Japanese Academy Awards. Uh, she's won five of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very decorated actor. Yeah, she's it's it's kind of incredible for a, an actress uh, that young uh, playing uh, Kimio Tamura, the leader of the SSSP, uh, is Hitoshi Nishijima. Where he played Kiro Honjo in Hayao Miyazaki's *The Wind Rises*, which we have talked about previously. Um, he he dubbed Colin Farrell in the live-action Dumbo and. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds as Detective Pikachu in mm-hmm. Detective Pikachu, <laughs> which I guess spoilers for Detective Pikachu. No, you he we all know he's voiced by Detective. He we know he voices Detective Pikachu. Oh, that's true. Wait, is there uh, a version of Detective Pikachu where it's actually Ryan Reynolds? Have you not seen Detective Pikachu? I've seen I've seen Detective Pikachu. I don't think you spoiled anything. Okay. I kind of forgot that he turns into Ryan Reynolds at the end of the movie. <laughs> now he's oh. done it. There we go. Uh, uh, he is also in uh, Common Rider Black Sun, which is sort of a uh, more dramatic reboot of the early 90s, uh, late 80s Common Rider series, Common Rider Black. Uh-huh. Moving down the list of our SSSP members, uh we have Daiki Arioka playing Akihisa Taki, the, the nerd of the group. <laughs> uh, uh, Daiki Arioka uh, is a singer, an actor, model. He's a part of a member, a, a boy band uh, called Hey, Say, Jump. Uh, I think the, the one thing about his character that we see, uh, just jumping onto this real quick, is that he has a lot of uh, models on his his desk uh, from a bunch of other uh, kind of contemporary to the original Ultraman uh, science fiction series. Uh, So uh, he has a original USS Enterprise from Star Trek, along with several of the uh, Thunderbirds vehicles from the Thunderbirds series, just to name a few. Uh, And then moving on to Akari Hayama as Yuma Funaberi. Uh, she is the biologist of the team. Um, she is, uh, and also, as our many actors in Japan, uh, they are also models and singers. Uh, uh, She's a former member of the Momoiro Clover Z, uh, and she has starred in movies such as uh, the live-action adaptation of Gintama. Uh, she's in a commercial for Tokyo Disney Sea uh, and in Granbu Fantasy, a very popular uh, gacha game. Uh, there's a few other smaller characters um, playing the motion capture and, and body <laughs> design of Ultraman are uh, Bin Furuya, who was the original suit actor for Ultraman, uh, and Hideaki Anno himself. <laughs> Uh, there are some very popular videos out there of the motion capture set sessions for Anno, uh, which I just think is great. Um, he definitely 
the only reason he did he he did this movie <laughs> to do 100 to say i'm ultraman um, canonically officially yes that is that is that's canon i will not take any notes on this <laughs> um we do actually have a, a reprising role from Shin Godzilla, uh, mm-hmm. at least according to Hideaki Anno and the, the, the design works, the, so the design doc for Shin Ultraman. Uh, Yutaka Takanuchi uh, appears as a government official um, and then supposedly is the same character from Shin Godzilla. He talked about trying to make Shin Godzilla and Shin Ultraman. He, he couldn't really make them in the same universe. Yeah. Uh, legally speaking. Um, but he, he tried his, his darndest. Yeah. There's a few there's, there's, there's some stuff we'll talk about that. Um, well, yeah, they can't do a, a one-to-one crossover. It probably got a lot closer than you would typically think, uh, especially since um, the whole film series that this is a part of the Shin Japan superhero project, uh, sort of a joint venture between Toho and Tsuburaya and and Studio Kara. Uh, it, it definitely got a lot closer than than you, you would imagine with some of the stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, voicing. Ultraman uh, is Issei Takahashi. Uh, he has been in a previous Ultraman series before, along with uh, other tokusatsu series such as Kyoru Sentai Zyu Ranger, which if I remember correctly, that is the one that came over as Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. That was the first season. I believe, yes. Yeah. Um, he is also the voice of Rohan Kishibe in the... Uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure spinoff series, thus spoke Kishibi Rohan, which is about him uh, doing going on little art adventures. Uh, Koichi Yamadera, uh, a, a familiar name to <laughs> thinking too hard about anime, is the voice of Zafi, uh, which is, you know, it is always good to see Yamadera-san getting work. Uh, we can't escape Spike Spiegel. Can't escape him. Uh Playing and voicing uh, Alien Mephilus is Koji Yamamoto. Uh, uh, he has appeared in things like Kamen Rider Reiwa, The First Generation, which is the, uh, the sort of movie that spans between the old the uh, Heisei generation and the Reiwa generation of Kamen Rider series because the Heisei Reiwa eras happened in 2019. Uh, he is also uh, a theater actor in Japan, uh, having performed in uh, The Miserables, uh, Rent, Romeo and Juliet, uh, Little Shop of Horrors, which I would yeah. love to see a Japanese uh, production Fuck. of Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. That's oh, got to oh. be buck wild. Oh, uh, uh, but they changed the song. Does. Wait, would it be like opera? I don't know anything. So, like, my musical, my English, like, American musical knowledge is very limited. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm curious if they change the lyrics. That's very, I, I'm, I'm mm. curious as well. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Uh, if, if you know how how uh, Jeff, how, uh musicals are translated to Japan, please let us know. Email us at thinkingtoohardpod at gmail.com. Um, he also does the dub voice for uh, Chris Pratt in Jurassic World. Uh, Jiminy Cricket, uh, played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt in the uh, 2022 version of Pinocchio, and is the voice of Puss in Boots. And Puss in Boots, yeah. The Last Wish, dubbing over Antonio Banderas. 
Uh, and then finally, uh, Genjiro Suda plays the voice of Alien Zarab. Uh, uh, I think probably the, the most immediate thing uh, for Genjiro Suda's resume is he's the voice of Seto Kaiba in <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, the person doing their Wikipedia page wants you to know who he plays because there are certain characters bolded in this list. <laughs> uh, I believe that means the primary character, but uh, he has a very prolific uh, voice acting career, um, including uh, Prince of Tennis, uh, Back Mongolian Chop Squad, uh, Reborn, Naruto, uh, a series that I would like to cover on this podcast. At some point, he is in uh, Skullman, mm. uh, which also has another connection to Shiro Sakasu. So, but yes, uh, again, another prolific voice actor uh, joining the cat. And then uh, I did not see the dub, so... Neither did I, and I didn't look up anything. Yeah. It's, it's weird. I, I, this is just a personal thing. Not that they didn't work hard. And dubbing this. No, no, not at um, But when it comes to like live action movies, I care less about the English dub. Yeah. Uh, I don't know why. And I guess it's, I think because with anime, my first introductions were dubs. So yeah. maybe that seems like the default settings. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I guess like outside of like Godzilla films, when they would like air on like a WGN Chicago on, yes. on a Saturday afternoon where they're getting dubbed. Live action films are like, no, they speak the language you're supposed to speak. Or like maybe film school has just taught me that like, no, if you watch a movie, you should watch it subtitled. It's yeah. I on live action movies with a dub. I'm, I'm like, eh, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like, I feel like, Films, you tend to, because it's a movie and you're going, it's a more active participation a little bit. Like you're mm-hmm. going to a movie theater. Um, so you are intending to like really pay attention or like, you know, you're putting a disc in or, or, or picking it out of a streaming list or whatever. But um, that kind of helps with like keeping subtitles and like watching it in its original language with subtitles, that kind of deal. While if it's a show, if it's like an anime, it's just like on TV or whatever. That's it's easier to have a dub there. So that is a much more accessible kind of thing where you can flip through a channel and pick something out and you're good to go. You don't have to really worry about it. But. Yeah, it's it is. I, I think it's definitely an example of the medium is the message and like how we how yeah. each gets treated, like you said. Yeah. But uh, it's not like there hasn't been a lot of debate. About subs versus dubs. <laughs> no one, not no just an really anime, thought about it. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a whole new, a whole new thing we're we're catching on here. What's? Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. So I did not watch the 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 dub, like I said. So I am not sure. I, I have a list here in front of me, but um, not to belittle their efforts. But I would recommend watching watching it subtitled. Mm-hmm. Um, so so real quick, we'll pad out the time here. Uh, a little bit uh so you don't have any real experience with ultraman correct no i i do not i uh i was at a friend's house during the holiday break and we had talked about it in front of their dad and their dad who is at this point would be in his 50s maybe early 60s was like yeah i watched ultraman all the time. I love Ultraman. So it was def- so like it was definitely something that was brought over here to the States, probably 
I think in the eighties, more than yeah. likely, seventies um, and eighties. Uh, but yeah, uh, my Ultraman experience is yeah, just very limited. Um, I think the most I've watched is just a few episodes of Gridman. Wait a minute, is uh huh <laughs> is Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad the most Ultraman that we've gotten here in the states? Uh. As far as a a either a Saban ing of the property, definitely like from a Saban standpoint of a mighty yeah. of a Power Rangers ing. So yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, so it's a a Subaraya production. So Subaraya is uh, a company founded in Japan in 1963 by uh, A.G. Subaraya who did the uh, special effects for films like Godzilla. And then he went and started his own studio. And uh, originally uh, there was Ultra Q, which was just sort of a sci-fi. It's sort of like a sci-fi tokusatsu X-Files kind of thing. Um, it's, it's more of a like monster of the week, people going and investigating that kind of deal, uh, which was not especially popular from my understanding. Um, and then that very quickly, uh, within the same year that it premiered, so uh, Ultra Q originally premiered on January 2nd, 1966, uh, and aired until July 3rd, 1966. And then July 17th, uh, Ultraman, the original series, premiered. So they very quickly turned it into into Ultraman. But uh, So that's kind of where it started. So yeah, in 93, uh, they did sort of a, uh, I don't want to call it necessarily a reboot, but sort of a, a, a loose reimagining of Ultraman into uh, Gridman the Hyper Agent, which was brought over here uh, as Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad, and then would eventually get an anime sort of, again, reboot into SSS Gridman. But yeah, that's sort of the most, aside from just like reruns of Ultraman, like randomly on TV. Yeah, that's probably the most sort of Ultramany kind of media we got over here for a very long time. I think with our generation, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Ultraman is the the tokusatsu property on top of Kamen Rider that I think didn't get as much recognition here in the States. Yeah. Um, like them bringing a uh, Saban bringing over Z Ranger and turning it into uh Power Rangers was definitely kind of like the show. And then after that, they tried with a bunch of stuff. They tried with like Superman and Samurai Cyber Squad. They tried to do a Common Rider adaptation, which is notoriously bad. Um, you didn't like that weird uh furry Yoda, the weird like that literal Furby. Come yeah, to life. yeah. Um, Big Bad Beetleborg, so they have the, <laughs> the Jay Leno ghost genie thing. VR Troopers with a stoner talking dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, okay, so so Ultraman is... is I, I've seen uh, a fair amount of the original Ultraman series. I have a bunch of the series on Blu-ray. I haven't actually sat down to watch all of them yet, but... Um, it's very much like a, a Thunderbirds kind of setup where it's like this team and they have like their weird little jumpsuits with ties and everything like that. Um, and one guy gets to turn into Ultraman. He like gets kind of similar to the movie. The movie really does kind of condense everything down. It makes it a bit more dramatic because there's a certain level of like camp fun 
in the original Ultraman, like the main character talks to the audience at points. Oh, damn. Like there are scenes where he's like, hey, here's what's going on today. And like the the SSSP like base kind of thing. Um, and he'll give like little winks and nods at like the start and end of episodes, that kind of deal. Um, and then as the series went on, it kind of became more and more serious as we got into like uh, Return of Ultraman and Ultra 7 and all that stuff. But uh yeah, so I was just kind of curious about because it's it's such a strange show at first, and then it kind of becomes what you sort of expect um, out of Ultraman, out of a Tokusatsu series, and uh, watching watching how Ultraman like his suit changes over time is also very interesting because oh boy. That first episode, Ultraman is looking rough. <laughs> he, he is. I I think I have seen the first episode of Ultraman. Yeah, he is, um, uh, he's a bit messed up. Uh, <laughs> he is not the, the sleek sort of individual that we see today. But uh, but yeah, so uh, let's let's talk about the film. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get a little a little input on how much you've actually seen of, of Ultraman before he got into it. Yeah, I brought this up before the show where it's not that I'm not unprepared, but I do feel like this is a movie that coming to it as more of a Hideaki Anno fan. Mm-hmm. You're not getting you're you're getting some of him. But it mm-hmm. really, it's like, unlike his other works, it's like, no, this is like an Ultraman movie. It mm-hmm. is for people who love Ultraman. It is for people that are Anno and Higuchi's age who grew up with this. Yeah. It is, it is, it's literally, it's a fan film. They just had millions of dollars. Yeah. Yes. Um, I want to say their budget was close to, uh, says here mm-hmm. eight eight to nine hundred million yen um, so like uh, roughly 10 million so according to an estimation by Hideaki Anno in pre-production mm-hmm. uh, he says about five and a half to six and a half million dollars for reference from for modern on in like we, I think we talked about where live action Japanese films their budgets are so low. It's way lower ridiculous than, yeah um five million is what like a blum a blum house will pay for a movie i think get out was like that might have been like 10 million actually but like five million in hollywood is a low budget horror movie yeah yeah let's, it's nothing let's, what does yeah so according to wikipedia at least uh get out was made for about four and a half million yeah that no no giant <laughs> men from yeah. space in that movie and that's why yeah. they have the budget for it. Um, um, according to to here, though, the box office was about thirty four million. So I think they made back on their investment. I think yeah, I think they're good. There's a speaking of budgets. There's they did have some some money saving tactics that they implemented. Um, let's see. I think there's a quote from Higuchi. Uh, so Higuchi, knowing the budget, he knew they couldn't like go wild, destroy the world too much mm-hmm. uh but they compensated he compensated by quote coming up with a unique and appealing screenplay and really interesting characters and that's definitely the case where there was not knowing like the vibe or like cadence of an ultraman episode mm-hmm. it did seem light on the fight the giant monster fighting yes <laughs> 
Um, yeah, like in an, an Ultraman episode, it's usually like, what's what's the crew up to today? Here's a monster. Oh, we, what's the monster's deal? What can we do to figure it out? Like, what can we do to try and help, like, stop it? And that either that works or doesn't work. Like, it's either it doesn't work and then Ultraman comes in and kicks its ass and then that's it. Or mm-hmm. it does work but it's just kind of like weakening the monster and then Ultraman comes in and kicks its ass and that's it. Uh, this is not uh, a slam on Ultraman, but like I do love that the solution to a mo- every monster's weakness is getting body slammed by a silver dude. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty great. I mean, look, if you're getting body slammed at any size, it's not fun. <laughs> it's not fun. And then if you're a giant, super powerful like monster, and you fight this giant, super powerful, like, silver guy from space. I'm sure it hurts even worse. <laughs> Pepsi Man does not play around. Exactly. Oh, um, I mean, and getting body slammed is if you're lucky. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into it, I guess. <laughs> but if you get body slammed, that's that's an easy way to go. Truly. Um, some, some other money-saving tactics is the reuse of assets. So, Oh, yeah. Which um, is a time-honored tradition in Subaraya Productions. <laughs> um, specifically, uh, so the Godzilla model from Shin Godzilla was used in the opening segment. Uh, like the opening two, three minutes uh-huh. is a recap of Ultra Q just saying, hey, there's this group. There are kaijus that are appearing on Earth and the government has made this group that deals with them. Uh, so Shin Godzilla is pl- in this movie. They're playing the role of Gomez, uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, in what in the second kaiju attack, uh, the Tokyo Station there is actually from Shin Godzilla as well. Yeah. Um, so the reuse of Godzilla is uh, kind of fascinating. This is what I was referencing when I was talking about how uh, a crossover was a lot closer than you think because uh, Toho gave the production permission to reuse the Shin Godzilla asset because Gomez's original uh, Gomez's original incarnation was also a reused Godzilla suit. Ooh. Um, so, so the first few monsters that we see, uh, mainly uh, Gomez, uh, Pagos, Naronga and Gabora are all um, their designs are based off of their original versions, which were reused Godzilla and Baragon suits from Godzilla. So the reason that Pagos, Naronga and Gabora all look similar is because they are all based off of Baragon and just like strapping other things to a Baragon <laughs> suit, um, which is, I just think it's very funny and very neat that they managed to get away with that, that all those monsters had uh, the same basic frame and then they just kind of strapped little things on top of it like they would have done if they had had the actual suits. It's, yeah. it's very cute. I love it. Yeah, there is a, they, and I think that's what's like, What's great about Shin Godzilla when we talked about it was that it's the treatment of these monsters not as these CG creatures, but like, no, it's a guy in a suit. How mm-hmm. would we treat that? How would it move? How could we get it to move? Because it was actually something that was physically in in reality. Uh, 
like Ultraman, when we see him, he he's got the wrinkly bits like under his arm and his finger. Like it looks like he's in a suit. And like they could have not done that. It could have just been like, well, that's a skin, and like we just, yep, it's how skin works. Um, just that again, that amount of detail and yeah. wanting to get, and it's really kind of saying it's saying that to them, and a lot of the audience don't like. No, he's he's supposed to look like this. It's yeah. not a de- it's not a defect of the suit. They're like this is what he looks like. Uh, so in an in an interview with uh, Shinji Higuchi, said Ultraman is. Bizarre when you think about it. He is dressed in a silvery, slimy thing that I don't know what it is. And although he looks like a human being, he is something other than a human being. I think Mr. Narita's design, which uh, which makes him look cool, is really amazing. For this project, we went through a series of adjustments to realistically reproduce the coexistence of Ultraman's metallic and biological aspects in CG. So he's they're going for that sort of weird biological silvery, like is he a guy in a suit or is that just his skin Mm -hmm. kind of look uh which i even like make reference to in the film when a couple of the members of sssp are talking about the first appearance of ultraman he's like is he wearing clothes or is he not like what's going on (laughs) like is this a giant naked man um yeah they higuchi talked about the difficulty of silver and like trying to dial that in Mm mm-hmm uh, and like, well, it can't be a pure mirror because then it's like reflections on reflections. And as uh, uh, anyone who's like semi knowledgeable, like even even remotely knowledgeable about video games and like how that works, reflections hard and they take up a lot of processing power. Yeah, like uh, reflections in video games up until I mean, even kind of including now, but up until fairly recently. To do a mirror in a video game, you had to duplicate all of the assets in the mirror because there's no way to actually make a a reflective thing like that. Mm. Um, So when you look at yourself in a mirror in a video game, you see yourself. That is just another one of a character (laughs) model of your character on the other side of that mirror. Yeah, just a lot of work in what does he look like and how do we make that in CG? Yeah. And then, yeah, through the uh, through watching this movie, getting ready for the podcast, learning about like there there are names that I definitely need to delve deeper into, and we've mentioned Toll Narita before, the designer mm-hmm. of Ultraman uh, and and like Godzilla, and <laughs> just him and Subaraya, as far as like Tokusatsu, just the amount that we owe to them and that they put into this. Well, like essentially now a genre of mm-hmm. media. Um, so the design for the Shin Ultraman is not so much based on the Ultraman from the show, but from a 1983 oil painting that Narita did called mm-hmm. Incarnation of Truth, Justice, and Beauty. Uh, I get some of the major design changes is that Ultraman has what's called the color timer on on his chest. Uh, it's Ultraman can only be big for so long. Yeah. Uh, and it was in in a show. It's always cool to like. Uh oh, the color timer's going off. He's going to shrink soon. Which um, boy, having a giant character that only has a limited amount of time to be <laughs> active. What what could that possibly influence in the future? <laughs> who who knows? But again, like guys, we can't shoot a dude in a suit all the time. That's too much money. Uh, okay, here's a f- in universe reason why we can't like. 
Brilliant. Love it. Um, so some other changes they have is uh, they took out the peepholes in the, <laughs> that an actual actor would need. Uh, and then Ultraman has like a fin on his back that they were also removed. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the peepholes is probably like another of like the really, really big ones for me personally, just because I watch, I, I've watched a fair amount of tokusatsu throughout my life and kind of like when you think about like, Hey, where are the actor's eyes actually Mm-hmm. because most of the time the character's eyes are like these big like glowing things it's like there's no way they can actually see through that so like where are they actually looking and how they kind of like try to disguise that on suits it's always really interesting like uh with ultraman it was pretty obvious because he has these big like little peepholes at the bottom of his eyes on the original suits um that depending on the angle of shooting uh gave him some very weird like creepy eyes like they, they look like little pupils at the mm-hmm. bottom of his eyes. Um, but things like like Kamen Rider and stuff like that, they have like the big glowing eyes and then like these kind of like black stripes and stuff like that that kind of go into the design of the helmet. Mm. It's like, oh, that's actually just like some sunglass material, some darkened material for the actor to actually be able to look out of that kind of thing. So Yeah, just it's cool. It's a cool mix of mm-hmm. what lets you know the character is that pays tribute to the series versus here's what we can do with cg it's i didn't write it all down but like there there is a vid there's one video that just kind of broke down like here's a bunch of references in shin ultraman and it's <laughs> good lord oh yeah like, the beat for beat fights that happen or references to different moves and in not only just the original ultraman but like throughout the series um the one fights in space is referencing shots from an animated uh, Ultraman short that was part of the uh, Japanese anime expo. Right, right. It's like they love they love Ultraman so much. It's insane. They love Ultraman. Uh, let's see. Like, like Ultraman is I I would I would hazard a guess that Ultraman is probably like the single most influential like franchise on. Ano specifically, but I feel like Higuchi is also like right there with it. Like it's it's definitely something that I think everything he has done since he started becoming like a director and an animator has had at least a little bit of Ultraman somewhere in it. Uh, and sometimes it has a lot of Ultraman in it. And in this case, it's just Ultraman. It's all Ultraman. Because <laughs> he, he's because I think it's safe to say, at least with Evangelion, that he he's he can do deconstruction um, for media, uh, which I think is what Evangelion is, or mm-hmm. and like it, it Shin old and Shin Godzilla for sure, where it's like using again taking the idea of Godzilla being a metaphor for a disaster or something or something that you can't control um, or an unstoppable force and using that to talk about current Japanese politics. So Uh it's, it was, it was, it threw me off how faithful and really straightforward this movie is. Maybe not so much at the end of what you would think it would be. Again, I, I, I don't know about the original, how far it strays from the original series, but the end is definitely like, okay, that may, that that's Anno. That makes sense of, uh-huh. Of how the big final problem was solved. Yeah. Uh, so so now that we we kept trying to talk about <laughs> the movie, let's let's jump into our our synopsis of the film, shall we? Yes. So uh, it starts with uh, 
a like rapid fire uh, little series of vignettes where different S-class special species, uh, aka kaiju, start appearing and attacking Japan. Uh, the first of which is Gomez, who again uh, is a very much a, a Godzilla-like which the Japanese Defense Force manages to take care of. Uh, the next one is a mammoth flower, a gigantic flower that appears outside Tokyo Station, which is uh, quickly uh, defeated with a combination of carbon dioxide, gas, and flames. Uh, a lot of these are, are from Ultra Q, the, the sort of predecessor series to Ultraman Pegula, uh, which is a giant flying... It's, it's almost like a, uh, a reverse Rodan, where instead of being a giant firebird, it's like a giant ice bird dragon thing. Uh, Chicken-like, maybe. Yes. Well, there's also uh, the Rugius, which is also very, very chicken-like. Um, uh, when we see the little bit of it, it uh, flies by the same castle it flew by in its episode of Ultra Q, uh, Kumamoto Castle. Um, it's the only one that isn't like destroyed in the entire uh, film. Like the, the especially the first kaiju we see, it just manages to escape, and we just never see it again. Uh, there's a giant snail called Goga, who this is its first appearance in more than fifty years, and then uh, we get Pagos, which is the first Baragon-like creature that appears. Uh, that uh, it's killed by the the Japanese military after. Uh, eating containers full of nuclear substances, but uh, its body then calcifies and crumbles away, um, leaving a lot of toxic uh, nuclear waste and radiation. Uh, so so after all this, the SSSP, which is the uh, S-class species suppression protocol, is formed out of members of the private sector and the Japanese government to respond to attacks by Kaiju. Uh, our, our first set of characters include Shinji Kamenaga, uh, Kimio Tamura, who is the leader of the SSSP, or the, yes, the leader of the SSSP, um, Akihisa Taki, and Yumi Funaberi, uh, who all have their specialties. Uh, Shinji is a member, was a member of the National Police Agency Security Bureau. Um, so he was basically sort of like a FBI type. Uh, it's probably the easiest way to to kind mm -hmm. of equate it. Um, Asami. No, Asami we'll get to in a minute. Sorry. Uh, Kimio Tamura, the leader, was a member of the Ministry of Defense. Uh, Ake Sataki was a particle physicist. Uh so he is sort of our our, our hard science uh, guy. He's the, the guy we go to for uh, researching things. And then uh, Yumi Funaberi is a universal biologist who worked at the Ministry of Education, Culture, Sports, Science, and Technology. Uh, a, a real thing. <laughs> a real thing. It is a tremendous name. Uh, it's also known as MEXT, M-E-X-T, uh, or Monka Show, which is just a shortening of its uh, Japanese title, which its Japanese title literally translates to Ministry of Letters and Science, which is much smaller. Mm -hmm. I, I I don't know how we get the 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 full title that we get here, but I guess I guess it's everything they cover. Yeah, it, it is everything they cover. They are like it is. They, they do a lot. It it should um, just be Ministry of the Rest. <laughs> yeah. Um. So they are uh, they are on site for the latest uh, S-class kaiju appearance, dubbed Naronga, which uh, I think it's very cute that the names of the kaiju that we see, 
they literally say it's like the director of the Ministry of Defense just kind of picks their names. And that's what we <laughs> go with. Um, uh, so they're on site. Uh, this newest creature, Zoronga, it appears and it is actually invisible uh, to the naked eye. But uh, to power itself, it eats electricity from a nearby power station, which uh, deactivates its invisibility. Um, while the SSSP and the Japanese Self-Defense Force are trying to figure out uh, a plan, uh, Kaminaga uh, leaves to go and rescue a, a, a lost child in the forest surrounding the, the area where Naranga has appeared. As Naranga uh, begins feasting and, and tries to make its way into the city, uh, a shining light, a meteor from the sky, appears, crashes into the mountain, causing a gigantic explosion. And we see um, Kaminaga carrying a, a, a child get struck in the head with an item, a bit of rock or tree. And then a giant silver being uh, stepping out of the smoke that then uh, fights and eliminates Naranga post-haste using a, a mysterious energy beam that just causes it to explode. <laughs> It is is fantastic, mm-hmm. um, and then we see uh, it this this giant silver being quickly then fly up into the sky and disappear, uh, despite the JSDF's best chance at uh, following it on radar. Um, Kaminaga then appears carrying a child uh, in the camp before we move to the SSSP uh, headquarters, where. Uh, Analyst uh, Hiroko Asami is being transferred to the SSSP in partnership with Kaminaga, um, who is fine, perfectly fine, nothing wrong here. Uh, Asami uh, was an analyst for the Public Security Intelligence Agency, uh, which is sort of a, a both internal security and uh, espionage, uh, or rather counter espionage to to Japan. Um, so she would work for like the NSA sort of equivalent. Um, but yes, they are they are partnered up uh, quickly, which she constantly uses the term buddy, which I think mm-hmm. is very cute. Uh, using the term buddy, the, what character, what choices? So you got buddy, but you also have the constant grabbing of her butt as like, I'm going to psych <laughs> myself up. Yeah. Yes. She, uh, yes. Whenever she gets ready to do something, she just like slaps her own ass, <laughs> which it's just. Yeah, all right. Cool. I, I swear I've seen that in something else before, but I could not recall. Because mm. I'm like, guys, is this a cultural thing? Is this, or is this, she's a big weirdo? Uh, I think she is just like kind of a bit of a weirdo. <laughs> uh, she's very excited about all of this. But uh, with the next appearance of a kaiju, this one dubbed Gabora appearing. Uh, it's it, it digging underground. It, it appears, um, and again, our our giant silver silver giant appears after uh, the attempted bombardment of of Gabora does not work. Uh, so we hear we see rather uh, Kawinaga disappear out of the 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 tent that everybody staged in, and the sudden appearance of what they have dubbed Ultraman. This time, uh, the markings on its body red as opposed to silver like a silver gray uh so he has become a silver and red giant and quickly begins fighting gabora before he manages to uh infiltrate a nuclear waste storage facility and cause all sorts of problems um it's after this point that the movie like kind of we get into like the kind of cadence of the film i think 
basically it turns from like a bunch of like quick uh like monster fights and things like that into like a little bit more like proper ultraman episodes just kind of like condensed a little bit uh so ultraman uh, quickly defeats Gabora after it opens its drill head to reveal its real face and then uh, carries it off into the sky. Uh, we we see Ultraman flying, which is, uh, I personally love the way he flies, where he just gets stiff as a board and mm-hmm. they... <laughs> It's almost like they just move him as like a separate cell on top of everything. Like, <laughs> they just kind of move him and like he's like a paper doll or something like that. They just spin him in place, things like that. Um, but yeah, so uh, after Gabora is defeated, uh, we are we are introduced to another alien, uh, Zarab. This one able to actually speak. It has a humanoid sort of form, um, and it's uh, he actually introduces himself as. Alien Zarab, uh, which is makes it kind of delineates him from the regular kaiju because if it has a uh, like a name and then with alien before it, that sort of means it's more of an intelligent sort of species. They are like humans or something like that, where they can actually talk and 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 things like that. But um, Zarab appears and uh, shows that uh, he can uh, he can use electromagnetic pulses to knock out power and corrupt data and things like that in computers. So uh, and he wants to to deal with the prime minister of Japan to seal a peace treaty with the government. Um, and that uh, he he says that the only reason it's here is because he landed here first and that uh, it has nothing to do with Ultraman uh, showing up. Uh, as we sort of see that obviously this strange creature does not have the best intents, uh, he kidnaps Kaminaga after learning that he is uh, Ultraman and uh, tries to discredit him by uh, turning into a false Ultraman and attacking uh, ports and things like that. Um, I think the the really interesting thing with Zorob's design is that he does not have like a back side. Uh, you see him, like he can turn invisible and things like that, but when you see him from behind, he is basically like like a mold, almost like a uh, uh, an indentation. If you were to like, he's rounded on the front side so that if you were to touch him from like the back side, you'd be like reaching inside of him, quote unquote. But uh, it's a very interesting sort of design. He's like a little flat Stanley kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, in it, it took a second before I realized it because no one. It's interesting in this film that they don't waste any time with like, oh my god, an alien. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're just like, hey, I'm an alien. It's like you certainly are. What What do you want? Yeah, uh, he shows up wearing like a little like overcoat and like a hat. <laughs> he, he's a, he he's goes just... around like. Like a uh, Raphael, and yes, <laughs> you know, to disguise himself. It's yeah, he he. Zareb is one of my. I think it is my favorite design throughout this whole movie, just because of it, it's something that they could really only do in CG, but still fits the whole aesthetic of Ultraman. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So after kidnapping uh, Ultraman or Kaminaga, who is also Ultraman, and and trying to uh, discredit him. He also then leaks information or leaks footage somehow. I don't know how he got this footage. Um, it's probably his translation phone, if I'm thinking about it, because he shows that he has like a universal translator that just looks like a smartphone. Uh, but uh, he leaks footage of Kaminaga transforming into Ultraman, which results in a manhunt for him. Uh, Asami, uh, wondering where Kaminaga has been, because all the members of the SSSP kind of take it in stride. Like... 
they're like, oh, okay, well, that's weird, but he's still our pal. He's still our buddy. Um, uh, Asami receives uh, the transforming device, the beta capsule, uh, and an envelope in her her, her purse uh, for safekeeping. Uh, I forget who. Uh, Asami then uh, meets with a contact that Kaminaga had been having a meeting with prior to him being uh, kidnapped, who tells him that he had actually, uh, he learned that Kaminaga had been leaving a trail of like invisible ink to his location. So Sami goes to free him. And uh, while she is captured by Zarab, Kaminaga gets his beta capsule and is able to transform into Ultraman, uh, saving Asami and then expose Zarab's disguise before defeating him. Uh, I think he defeats him in probably my favorite fashion in <laughs> this entire thing, where he uh, summons up a destructo disc like yeah. blade uh, of of Ultraman energy, the Spacium one three three, and uh, just cuts him in half. <laughs> yeah, there are some great scenes in Ultraman series where Ultraman just slices a dude in half. <laughs> It, they're very funny. Sometimes they are doing the exact same thing as Zarab is in this, where they're just like flying at him and he just like splits him in half. And in some cases, just like weird guts come spraying out. Um, but yes, go go look up Ultraman defeating monster gifts. They're very funny uh, and very cool. I love it. Oh, so so after this, uh, Kaminaga goes into hiding. And uh, Asami has also disappeared, uh, but not for long, as she quickly reappears, but this time as a, like, 20-story-tall woman, which uh, she's, she's being mind-controlled by yet another alien, this one called Mephiles, um, who has the ability to transform people into supersize, uh, not unlike... Ultraman. Uh, he uses it with a device called the Beta Box, which is a larger version of the Beta Capsule that Ultraman used, uh, to to show that uh, he is working in good faith. He reverts Asami back to her normal size after uh, after he like sedates her and they cover her up in a bunch of tarps, uh, not unlike a uh, Gulliver's Travels like mm-hmm. scenario. Uh, Mephiles then tries to strike a deal with the the Japanese government. To supply them with the beta box because it turns people basically giant and invincible. But uh, what he wants in return is unconditional obedience, which the prime minister is all too ready to turn over. Mm, Yeah, you can make people big. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, Kaminaga disagrees with this plan. Uh, and works with the SSSP to kind of stop the exchange if they they realize, hey, this guy isn't in up to any good. Uh, so uh, during the, the treaty signing, they hijack the box, uh, and SSSP manages to take control of it, while Ultraman and Mephilus uh, engage in combat, uh, and yet another really awesome fight scene um, that uh, actually looks like Mephiles is probably going to win until he notices a smaller golden Ultraman over Ultraman's shoulder uh, behind him uh, and is like, you know what? I'm done. I'm going home uh, and departs with his beta box. Uh, the SSSP is detained for aiding an Ultraman, but are quickly re- uh released afterwards um, when their chief convinces the Japanese government that Ultraman had coerced them into doing it. Meanwhile, Kaminaga uh, converses with this golden Ultraman called 
Zofi, who turns out to be uh, Ultraman's or uh, Lipia, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Lipia, who was the original being uh, Ultraman, uh, they converse about uh, how Zofi is his superior and that um, the the forest where Ultraman landed and Kaminaga was injured. Turns out he was not injured. He was actually just straight up killed. But uh, Lipia was so moved by his sacrifice to save this child that he uh, assumed his identity and sort of fused with, with Kaminaga to a degree. Uh, Zafi tells Ultraman that because you've done this, you've shown the world or shown the universe, rather the galaxy that uh, people are able to do this. And that's a, a, that's a against the code of, of their intergalactic uh, government. And that uh, because of this, humanity is going to pose a threat, uh, especially because they can evolve into giants eventually. So he's going to employ the ultimate weapon Zeton to eradicate humanity and not just humanity, the entire solar system. Uh, Zeton is actually another uh, monster in Ultraman. Uh, he typically has a more traditional sort of look to, uh, like, say, like Mephiles or Zarab or something along those lines. Um, in this case, is actually sort of like a giant space station super weapon robot type thing. An, an angel, perhaps. An angel of sorts, yes. Um, but it does. It does sort of take the vague shape of the original uh, Zeton alien design, which I think is very neat. So uh, Kaminaga warns the SSSP of this and leaves a flash drive with them, which has a bunch of information about how Ultraman works, um, along with the other creatures. Uh, Kaminaga is... Uh, well, no. Uh, Ultraman then leaves Earth's atmosphere to try and stop Zeton, but is quickly just blasted to pieces um, and falls through the atmosphere and then detransforms into Kaminaga before hitting the water, which, oh boy, that's gotta hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the government does not disclose that, hey, the universe is about to be destroyed, but everybody can see Zeton in the atmosphere. Uh, that's when our physicist, uh, Akihisataki, opens up the flash drive and discovers all of the theorems and principles and all that stuff behind the beta capsule and these higher dimensional sort of domains that Zofi and Ultraman come from. Uh, as Kaminaga recovers and regains consciousness, Taki reveals uh, a, a method that him and a bunch of international scientists in VR chat uh, <laughs> deciphered a way to do defeat Zeton. Uh, I am not joking. There is a scene with uh, Akihisa wearing a PlayStation VR headset and talking to other <laughs> scientists. I can only assume that they are in VR chat and now I want to know what all of their avatars are. <laughs> they were all my generators. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they, they devise a plan. Uh, Kaminaga transforms into Ultraman. And then uh, as he uh, flies at Zeton, as is about to release its ultimate like solar system destroying one trillion degree superheated ball, um, Ultraman reactivates the beta capsule again one millisecond before Zeton fires it. Uh, creating a black hole that uh, is, first of all, very reminiscent of the black hole scene in uh, Gunbuster to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it turns everything black and white except for uh, Ultraman. Uh, but uh, they are swallowed by the black hole, but they're swallowed by the black hole that uh, Ultraman creates. But 
Ultraman is also saved at the last second by Zofi, uh, who uh, says that they should return to their home, the Land of Light, uh, which is in the M78 Nebula, which is a real nebula. Uh, but uh, whether or not there's a Land of Light there, I you know I don't think we've discovered that yet. Uh, but Ultraman uh, says that no, he wishes to stay and protect Earth. Zofi refuses the compromise, uh, so Ultraman then says that he will sacrifice himself to resurrect Kaminaga, um, and that uh, this makes Zofi question his, you know, uh, his thinking. And Ultraman says that, you know, after their 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 sacrifice and their their uh, teamwork to defeat Zeton, he begins to underman he understands and begins to admire their their tenacity, humanity's tenacity. Um, and then we cut away to Kaminaga being found by the members of the SSSP, uh, opening his eyes, having given a chance at life once again. And that's the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that I think the sort of sixth dimension that they're in when Ultraman and Zofi are having their final like chat uh, is meant to sort of evoke the uh, ink sort of title screen of like Ultra Q and, and Ultraman, the original yeah. Ultraman, where it's this... It's very cool. Like everybody should go and like watch it. It's really really neat. But it's it's footage played in reverse. But they did like this kind of big pool of like paint and ink that's just real kind of trippy colors that has the logo on it. And then they swirl it so that it messes it all up. And then they take that footage and they play it back so that you see this big kind of swirl of color and stuff like that, kind of twist and turn and then turn into the Ultra Q or like the Ultraman um, like logo. It's very neat. I. I I thought that was like definitely one of the most striking things about the series when I watched like some original episodes of Ultra Q and Ultraman back in the day. Yeah, I and that's how they open. That's the title card they use. Yes, as well. They use the same technique. Love that wild '60s swirl. It's it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's it. I, did I did I miss anything? Is there anything you wanted to? I I don't. Uh, plot wise, I think you you did cover everything. Mephilus was definitely the stole the show as far as a villain mm-hmm. uh, appearing as human and just <laughs> just bringing the government to its knees because he made a woman big. Hey, ma- look, man, you make a lady big. <laughs> I you know, I get it. <laughs> um, oh, that was a very cute scene where, of course, because she is giant and walking around in like uh, an office like suit and pencil skirt. uh there's a bunch of perverts online uh, that she she thinks her life is ruined now. Uh, so Mephilus apologizes and deletes all of those images off of the <laughs> internet, which I thought was very funny. Yeah, he's like he's he's not so bad. Uh, he's at least polite about it. He his fate he his te- his catchphrase was uh, well it was he kept using these like turn of phrases and and uh-huh. metaphors that uh, humans use. He's like one of my favorite sayings. Yes. Of yours. And then when Rise was building up into the, the fight in uh fight with Ultraman, he's he uses a couple of phrases that he's like, these are my least, least. favorite terms. <laughs> oh man, I, I wish I remembered which ones were which. I Yeah, it's this it again, it's a movie that threw me off at uh-huh. first, but it like became infinitely like it's so enjoyable and mm-hmm. we're bouncing through all these separate storylines. And I think it can be a little off-putting 
but yeah. it's still super enjoyable. Um, like the fight, the fight scenes are just so good. <laughs> yeah. So, so here's the thing. Uh, there's a thing called uh, Shin Ultra Fight. <laughs> yeah. Which is, there used to be a thing in between uh, Ultraman and Ultra 7, I want to say, that they would do like digest versions of the show where they would basically just take the fight scene from an episode and do like a little dialogue over it that kind of explain what's going on and like give like color commentary on the fight. Uh, and then they would just play that on TV. So they did something similar for Shin Ultraman where uh, you can watch the three main fights. You can watch um, the, I think it's the Zarab fight. Let's see. Now I gotta, now I'm gonna go grab it. Hold on. Mm-hmm. But you can just watch them on, uh, it is ultraconnection.com. There's a um because Superaya has their own streaming service. Yes. And I think that's what uh, it originally played on. Ultramanconnection.com. All one word. You have to you have to make an account, which it's free account, whatever. Uh, and then exclusive videos, and then it's right there on the side. Ultra Shin Ultra Fight. It's uh Naronga, Gabora, and uh Mephilus. Um, I believe there are actually more than that, but that is what they have on their their website um so definitely go check those out um i want to say yeah there's they made some other ones with uh some some other studios that include uh the one i want to find is ultraman versus image ultraman in a pro wrestling match yeah go check those out if you if you can't if you're dying to get your hands on shin ultraman go check out those fights until the uh official release uh happens um which hopefully will happen soon i don't know if they've given any dates for a home video release but yeah not sure yet um yeah the fights are just again they're so good at not only they're it's easy to think that like this is all like everything every effect in here is like cg it's something yeah. someone did in a computer there were still plenty of practical effects that and, and miniature work that was done in the show. But like Higuchi is so good at taking taking CG and making it look practical. And like, yeah, there's like it looks to me. OK, so to me, mm-hmm. it definitely all looks like CG, but there's just a way that it moves that yes. gives it sort of that that practical feel, that motion capture kind of practical feel to it. Like the way that a lot of like um, like Naronga and Gabor and stuff like that kind of like shimmy and shake and stuff like that, the way that they kind of like jiggle a little bit has sort of like that suit actor feel to it that is just very cool. Like it's it's real fun to watch, and <laughs> the way that that Ultraman flies is amazing. Again, I cannot get over about how much he is just like he's just a particle. <laughs> he's a piece of two by four yeah. that flies. It's very funny. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like again from from the show of just like all right, what do we do for these shots of him flying? Well, here's this action figure we made, and we're yeah. just gonna zip him around and. Blow some, blow uh, some, uh, put the smoke machine through the fan and call it good. It's yeah. There's in in the American eyes in the recent MonsterVerse or whatever we're calling it, or the recent American Godzilla films. 
Mm-hmm. All of the giant, all the kaiju are animated in for realism. Yeah. And it's like, oh, how would this creature actually move? It's like, well, that's kind of lame. It, <laughs> it's it's not fun. We're uh, like this where I think I think you're right. I think that might be the main differentiator is that they're like, if it was a dude in a suit, how would it move? Yeah. And like Ultraman doesn't move like Ultraman moves like a dude because like, well, it's motion captured. But like they keep these little there's like these little subtle movements that you pick up on. And I'm like, that's not it's not an animated character. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. It's a person. Yeah. Like just to kind of reiterate, yes, it looks like like motion capture or like performance capture it is not them animating it all from from piecemeal, you know, uh, like you could very like aside from like a few things like the weird like rotation attacks and stuff like that. You could probably just have a person do all of these fight scenes in the suit and everything. I'm pretty sure some of these fight scenes did happen in suits in like some <laughs> of the original series because like. Again, if you watch an episode of, like, original Ultraman, they are not, like, these really cool, like, choreographed fight scenes most of the time, especially very early in the series. It is, like, some, come here, you, I'm going to grapple this gator kind (laughs) of kind of thing. Like, uh, especially when the suit is still, like, looking real rough. It, uh, it's, 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 it's some kaiju big battle-esque stuff (laughs) at the beginning of that series. Before they really kind of get their feet under them. Um, and, you know, that's just a lot of fun. It's very goofy, but it's a lot of fun. And I think they managed to kind of capture some of that with the, the, the performances given in, in Shin Ultraman. And I think, like, on the goofiness side, it's... I think part of what I came into this movie with was, like, again, the idea of Shin Godzilla. Yeah. And, like, how deadly serious Shin Godzilla is in treating. Yeah. Uh, and where this is, like, I know, like, Ano and Higuchi both talk, when they talk about Shin Ultraman, they they talk about, like, okay, well, how would we react? How would the Japanese government react if there's a giant guy that's fighting kaijus? What are we going to yeah. do in those situations? And that's there in that, same commentary is there of like the the ineffectiveness of government in these situations and and it's uh but it's but it's still a, a giant man fighting a monster yes <laughs> like i i guess i wasn't expecting like the fun of ultraman when i came in yeah like it feels like with with the the shin japan here i keep thinking what, what is this thing what is it called what is it called is it uh, shin trilogy the shin japan heroes universe which is uh shin godzilla shin ultraman shin kamen rider and evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0 um because in japan the evangelion rebuild movies are called shin evangelion so interesting uh we really missed out <laughs> That that just call uh why does why doesn't it call that here? Uh, because I think Evangelion is just a an instantly more recognizable Fine. thing in general. But uh, but yes, so I think uh, what what Ano's kind of intention is to kind of do like his dream version of a lot of these shows, like a lot of these projects, and that seems to me at least to kind of be a what is the like the most core version of that like Godzilla should be about like natural disaster analogs and like how does the government respond 
to such a thing. Like that's sort of like the core idea with Godzilla is that Godzilla is a walking natural disaster. And how are people going to handle that? Um, like that's very much what the original Gojira uh, is, is sort of about. And then when you get to Ultraman, it is much more in line with the sort of fun monster of the week, a little goofy, but still just kind of like fun and exciting sort of uh, show. And to have taking that and turning that into a, a feature film, kind of, again, boiling it down to like its core kind of ideas is like, this is supposed to be like a big Saturday morning, like superhero show. Uh, and that's kind of what, Shin Ultraman feels like to me. It feels like we're going to watch like a best of Ultraman stories, uh, digest film kind of thing. Like, I feel like you could totally have three or four more like acts to Shin Ultraman where it's just like other aliens and and kaiju that they Mm -hmm. encounter, but they kind of boiled it down to like the most affecting stories from like the original series into into the film. Um, I am a little surprised that there's no alien Baltan in this. Baltan is the one with the giant crab claws. Yes. Uh, um, which is also a big like kind of cultural thing with Ultraman that I'm surprised that they did not do. I uh, I forgot that I did watch a good portion of the, the Netflix animated Ultraman series. Mm-hmm. Where that species makes an appearance as sort of an ally for Ultraman, at least in that series. Um, but so yeah, cra- uh, he's got clackers, lobster claw hands, mm-hmm. long head, glowing peepers. Alien Baltan, yes. Um, there's a very good video of Guillermo del Toro meeting a Baltan. It's very funny. It's very- <laughs> he's just so excited to see this this dude dressed up as this weird like shrimp man <laughs> so like it from from that lens that that uh-huh. completely makes sense yeah and i the definitely i guess speculation so uh, i mean it's in your username uh-huh what so, what what do you think what's the core of common writer so i think common writer is going to be like the the sort of self-sacrificing hero the the hero who has been transformed uh nope Maybe, maybe pun intended there. Uh, <laughs> the the hero who has been transformed into some sort of other that then uses its new abilities to protect the people that he can no longer be a part of. Um, that's sort of my feeling from like the few trailers of Shin Kamen Rider that I've seen, and the the bits of like the original Kamen Rider series that I've watched is that uh, Takeshi Hongo, the original Kamen Rider, is constantly he has a bit of a a, a little bit of like a Peter Parker kind of thing going on mm-hmm. where um, he has all these peoples but he know that he cannot like his world is a different world from theirs and like he can never let himself, he can't really let himself be happy because he has to be a superhero uh, he has a bit of that going on um, so I feel like that is probably where Shun Kamen Rider is going to go, he's going to kind of go in that uh, I'm a hero. I have to do what a hero does, but my body is no longer the body I was born with. I'm now this cyborg man that looks like a, a, a grasshopper. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to, I have to make do with what I can and, and uh, protect the world kind of thing. That's, uh, that's my prediction. Okay. You, I mean, you said Peter Parker and I'm like, all right, go, go on. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah I'm just kind of common writer uh, now. Yeah, with as far as Shin Ultraman goes, yeah, I think it's just there is a little bit of like what's the public's take or like regular people's takes versus 
What's the government going to do? That's kind of what the SSSP feels like. They're pulled from all over the place. They're not like, they're sort of like this weird like little subgroup inside of the government. So they, you know, they have a little bit more of like a, a average person's kind of view on things while uh, the government is like, yeah, we'll, we'll sign up for unconditional obedience for sure. It worked out well in the past. It totally worked out well in the past. There, I, I, I don't think you mentioned this, but there is when when Zayton appears and mm-hmm. the government learns its purpose, their decision is let's not tell anyone because it would be a bummer. <laughs> they they a final mercy on the human race to not know the the hour or day of their destruction. Just yeah, there's yeah. a guy in space up there. You can see him, but don't worry about it. And it's in that out outside of like fight scenes and like that that. And the fact that Ultraman went up knowing that he could not beat Zayton as is. But he's like, look, humanity, it is, it's up to you. I'm not a god. I can't be yeah. your savior. You can't just leave it all up to me. You have to save yourself. I am, again, because uh, uh, Mephilus ha- did have like the idea of like, hey, man, I'm going to give you this technology. Here, just here you go. It's a gift. And Ultraman has that same spirit of the idea, but it's mm-hmm. here's the beginnings of it. It's on you. Humanity, you have to save yourself. Yeah. And like, I love that, that it aligns with like my, like my feelings on like life and humanity. And so like, that is like the beautiful, like little, that's a beautiful idea surrounding this. And I think oh. it, what makes what you're like, okay, Ultraman rules because he's not all right, humans. I'm going to try and keep everything the same and normal. And like, like Ultraman's not so superhero fiction uh-huh. is so much of it before you start getting to like the deconstruction of it and like starting from starting in the eighties superhero fiction is so much about the status quo and a superhero's job is to stop revolution (laughs) from, from happening. They are they're 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 there to stay the course, whether that is Mm -hmm. from natural elements or people who are trying to change the world, um, whether you agree with them or not. And I, love this I, I it seems like from what i've seen it seems like ultra this is the base idea of ultraman anyway it's not just in shin ultraman where it's just he's not i'm trying to leave humans alone as much as i can if it's a giant monster and they need help beating it up i got him but like i'm not policing them i'm not trying to be their god i'm not trying to save them it's like they're it's up to them. And again, like it, like it says in at the end of, of Shin Ultraman, it's like, I think I understand humans. I want to be like, let me be a human. Let me live amongst them. I want to keep learning more about them. They are fascinating. And, uh, and it's like, no, I'd rather I've lived. I think there's a line where he's like, I've lived 20,000 years. I'm good. <laughs> let's give mm-hmm. this human whose life is so short. Let's give it back to him. Yeah. Yeah. They, they talk about how they live for so, so long that, yeah. I, I, he's willing to sacrifice himself for these, you know, these little creatures that he has become very attached to. Um, and uh, there's there's something kind of similar that happens in the original series. Um, it, it matches up with the end of, of Shin Ultraman, where uh, in this case, um, Ultraman's color timer is damaged uh, by Zeton 
the the actual like creatures at on um and uh ultraman has to leave uh or rather i believe he just straight up dies uh, <laughs> but uh he is returned uh, he separates from his host, uh, Shin Hayata, uh, at that point, and uh, Zetan is left to be destroyed by the, the science patrol, the, the SSSP in the original series. Like, they're the ones that beat the last monster in the series. Like, it's not Ultraman, it is humanity mm-hmm. that manages to do it. Um, and Zofi appears to take uh, Ultraman back to their home world. Um, so, so yeah. So there's some of that. There's a little bit of that in you know the original series. It's but I think Higuchi and Ano have decided to take that and make it uh, attack it from a little bit more. I guess of a f- mature. I, I kind of wanted to say philosophical angel, a- angel philosophical angel, uh, <laughs> philosophical angle. Um, I don't know if like truly kind of like philosophical, but it's still. There's definitely an, an ideology there, I think, that they're trying to uh, enforce or, uh, or at least educate on a little bit there. So they make, you know, Ultraman like sacrificing himself for humanity in the original series and like having humanity become their own saviors to a degree. They kind of turn that into its own its own thing. They kind of make that a much more kind of explicit thing in, uh, in Shin Ultraman. And I think, yeah, that's that to me is i just i love that so much i don't i don't want superhero cops anymore yeah you know i i don't it's you're not yeah i i think it's a really like you said it's like the most mature sort of idea behind this this movie and this concept and it's it's always and Anno's real good at taking like something goofy and like adding mm-hmm. so much humanity and like thought and maturity into mm-hmm. it. So I have a I have a quote here from his original 2018 proposal for a trilogy of Ultraman productions. Um, Our goal is to create a world of Ultraman that is not for children, but for the generation that watched Ultraman back then and that they want to watch now that they are adults. We aim to create entertainment for adults that is consistent with the modern age, a coexistence of dreams and reality that can be depicted only with special effect images. To achieve this goal, we'll draw an interesting work that emphasizes quality and sensitivity, even in terms of reality, glistening with the theme of invasion rather than a catastrophe. Uh, and yeah, I think I think that's that's definitely they they kind of accomplished that. They're going for a mature but still like fun and 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 quality experience uh, with a, a a franchise for kids from the sixties. <laughs> Good news for Higuchi and Ano. Um, they have not happened yet, but I think the nominations just happened for the forty six Japan Academy Film Prize nominees uh i think it's eight categories that shin ultraman is nominated for wow best film best director best cinematography best lighting direction which is interesting to me because here here in the states we just have cinematography so that's lighting camera placement movement right um so it's interesting that they kind of separate those best art direction best film editing best sound recording and then newcomer of the year which i think is a like Let's adopt that award. That's cool. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But that is for uh, Arioka, uh, who played Taki. Right. Which is good. Yeah. He and he he does good stuff. He's the he is the character that maybe has his arc's pretty visible. Of like, yeah. Well, here's Ultraman. What like 
he's the character that is humanity's useless. Here are all these mm-hmm. aliens. Here are all these monsters. We can't beat them without Ultraman. Ultraman, like, what What are we even doing here? And then going to, like, actually, I'll lead humanity into learning about multiple dimensions and how to actually be Zeta. Yeah, like, he has he has a very kind of interesting arc that kind of, it doesn't feel like it's quite front and center, like, compared to the other characters, but he is definitely the one, like you said, that has sort of the the, the journey. Because Kaminaga is... I don't think we ever really get any info on Kaminaga before or after he is Ultraman. Like, mm-hmm. he is just kind of there. Like, we know that he goes and rescues a kid, but that's really about it. Um, and that he keeps his... Before he becomes Ultraman, the little bit we get is also that uh, because he was basically, like, in the, the FBI as part of the Security Bureau, um, he kept his life very, very private. Like, nobody could get, like, any info on him, basically. Um, and then throughout the most of the movie, it really feels like it's it's Olympia, it's Ultraman, that's uh, sort of em- embodying him kind of learning about humanity, that kind of thing. So, uh, so, so Ultraman gets a little bit of a, a an arc, <laughs> but not uh, Kaminaga himself. And then uh, Asami doesn't, I don't think Asami really gets an arc either. I think she is just kind of there and ready to like do the work, but uh, yeah, right there to is, is a for is a pretty, is a pretty good forward to Ultraman when they mm-hmm. do have interactions of like, I don't understand you. <laughs> Why are you this big freak who doesn't want to do teamwork? Um, and then helping him learn about humanity. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Anything else? Um, I guess I kind of want to talk about Zafi for a minute, just because I think it's very interesting that the sort of last like narrative bit of the series and the interpretation of this character um, is based off of a mistake in like <laughs> a, a, a series guidebook. Um, so the original version of Zafi, he is just like uh, Ultraman Superior who comes in to pick up Ultraman after he has been defeated and dies. Um, but uh, he was his description in a, a guidebook about the original series was uh, basically uh, it's it's misinformation based off of a character called Alien Zeton, who's sort of like the creature behind Zeton, the monster, the kaiju uh, in the show. Um, so they 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 misprinted this information saying that. Zafi controlled the Zeton monster uh, and that uh, it was sort of behind the attack in like the final episode when it wasn't. It was supposed to be Alien Zeton uh, and it was in the show. But uh, taking that sort of like interpretation of the character and making that the version of the character in the uh, in Shin Ultraman, I think is really interesting because it just kind of shows like the, the beings of light, the, the Ultraman characters as being sort of like these super powerful, but also like kind of disconnected from humanity kind of kind of creatures. Um, and I think that just kind of shows that kind of helps with Ultraman's sort of story in, in this movie that we, that we see that we see that, Oh, Lipia Ultraman is not like his other companions in, from the land of light. He is kind of a, a weird outlier that sees humanity, sees the things that they're doing and comes to care for them. Uh, while other Ultraman that show up are like these kind of cold and very, you know, reserved and by the book sort of creatures. Uh, I just thought that was, that was really neat. That's a really interesting way of taking the, uh, what was a very widespread kind of flub and making that, uh, an interesting choice for the film. Yeah. It's again, showing their dedication and love for the franchise on top of it. 
It, it definitely serves better instead of just, well, all, everyone from the planet of light is is cool and loves mm-hmm. protecting lesser life more. This is this. It, it, I like this take on it a lot more where it's we're, we're these God beings and we can kind of decide if certain species get out of hand mm-hmm. in a in a impartial way. Uh, but just, yeah, Ultraman seeing one human commit an act of mercy and that like sets off that chain reaction of of good in, in the world. Um, yeah, shit. I came in this podcast like i don't know if we're gonna have stuff to talk about and like uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it and like honestly like being kind of a little meh about the movie especially when i came out of the theater um but yeah having this talk and getting deeper into it i'm like no this movie rules and it's like yeah. i think it can be i think on my end it was easy to kind of confuse its simplicity with being simple mm-hmm yeah, uh, it's 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 very kind of straightforward, but you can take away a lot from sort of like the very sort of basic message that it's trying to to, to get across, or uh, you know, the sort of story of Ultraman and how he feels towards humanity. Oh. I mean the 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 tagline is is like the last line in the movie. It's the last line that Zoffy says. It's Have you become so fond of humans, Ultraman? Uh, and I think. You you can take a lot from that. You can you can imply a lot. You can really get a lot out of that sort of basic concept when you are trying to adapt this this series into a film for for you know adults. Yeah, just uh, humans are great. Fucking suck, but they're great too. <laughs> humans have a lot of potential to be <laughs> incredible. In in conclusion, humanity is a land of contrasts. <laughs> <laughs> the land of light. Of contract. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I guess I guess we'll just have to go and watch a bunch of Ultraman now. Yeah. It, oh, for sure. If if nothing else, watching Shin Ultraman is like, yeah, Ultraman rules. I need I need to go back. My my one friend and I were really fascinated with Ultra Q just because it when when it was pitches kind of like X Files. But with big monsters, I'm like, all right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, X Files, <laughs> Outer Limits, kind of, kind of deal. Yeah, and just black and white and that it's super interesting uh one other thing is that i mean i guess kind of depending on how well this movie ends up doing which financially it seems to be doing okay like what is it it's like a a one and a half times return on investment is considered a a success um yeah i mean three essentially like three times it's but three or four times its budget yeah um yeah so like it's certainly done well enough money monetarily it seems to be doing very well from a like critical standpoint. So uh, there is like a potential for sequels. Uh, the original concept was going to be three films with Shin Ultraman, a sequel to that, and then a Shin Ultra 7 uh, film. But mm. uh, there has been no confirmation on that as of yet. I think they're still trying to get Shin Kamen Rider out the door, which is going to be in March. Which Wait, I Wait, this year? Yes. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, Japan, yeah. Yeah, well, yes, March in, in Japan. Um, how long it takes for it to get over here is completely unknown. Yeah. But uh, I uh, guess it bears to mention that this the movie was affected by COVID-19. Yes. Um, but not during production. Uh, it was post. So post, I think, when we were talking about it, the idea was that there would be a 2021 release. 
that of sounds the movie. about right. And then it, it post was delayed about a year and a half because of because yes. of COVID nineteen. Yeah, so it was supposed to come out uh, early summer of twenty twenty one, and then yeah, just post production, like you said, got delayed to. Uh, may of 2022 and then we got it here this year for two days (laughs) yeah i'm like really guys you can't give it a a longer rate you could the best you could do with a god bless fathom events but like that's the best you can do yeah yeah just just a week yeah a week in theaters or like a week of like fathom events or something like that as opposed to like two nights um i mean shin ultraman got two runs not shin ultraman shin godzilla got two runs come on yeah it's uh yeah i was i was fortunate enough to be able to go i i was able to recruit some folks so i get to see it with some friends Mm -hmm. and it was i mean it was packed we were stuffed to the gills in there um yeah a very a really cool theater experience yeah um, I will also say that apparently this month, uh, Uniqlo, the clothing company, announced that they're going to do a line of T-shirts for the Shin Japan Heroes universe. Uh, and there's some preview images of them out there. Uh, and oh, man, I don't know if we'll be getting them over here because sometimes Uniqlo does bring their special shirts to the States. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. But oh, boy, I want, I want one of them sh- Shin Kamen Rider shirts, and I want the uh, the SSSP logo shirt. I see the the Spacium one Spacium one thirty three. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. Uh, <laughs> so hard. Oh, just I'm Common Rider with my I'm Common Rider with my back to camera, and I mm-hmm. got a bitch and Jack. <laughs> All right, we're gonna talk about Common Rider for a second because I love what they're doing with this character, where they are returning to their. It's very much like the original, original, like 60s or 70s mm-hmm. style design of Common Rider. But then they just give him a bigger, fancier neck scarf and an overcoat to make him cooler. I love it. It's such a simple ad. I, it's so good. Bring like the big duster uh-huh. on, a, on a character. Bring it back, man. I, I think in video games, it's run its course. That can go away for a minute, but in like movies, nope, just dudes and ladies in big jackets, so you know they can fuck shit up. You know what's you know what's cooler than like a common rider or Power Ranger, like a really kind of like teched up Power Ranger design? That, but with the jacket over it. Hell yeah. Look, if <laughs> if 90 superheroes taught us anything. You gotta put a jacket on that superhero costume. I like I look, I, I kinda like 90 Superboy, all right? <laughs> He's got that tiny jacket. It's still cool. You just put a jacket over it. Rogue, just put a jacket on her. Cyclops knew that his outfit was too much and was essentially him naked. He's gotta put a jacket on it. Just put a jacket on it. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, these what I'm looking at, it seems like these come out in March. Hopefully, hopefully where we can get them. Hopefully in the States. If not, I'm going to eBay. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to make it? Sure I get an extra large because you always go a size up if you're ordering from yep. Japan. Um, yeah, that's that's all I've got. <laughs> uh, we want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you want to talk to us, you can do so uh, by writing in to thinkingtoohardpod at gmail.com or talking to us on Twitter at thinkinganime. Um, if there's any detail we might have missed or if you have your own thoughts 
on anything we've covered, please write in. Um, you can find me uh, on my other podcast, uh, Kame House Party, that I do with my co-host Vince White. Um, we are going through every episode and iteration of Dragon Ball and doing improvised scenes about it. Uh, we are now part of the Moonshot Network. So while you're looking at our show, go check out the other podcasts over there that are both anime related and not anime related. Um, And then we are, uh, if you like video games, we do play them over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash comedy house party. We're doing some scheduling changes, so I'm not sure when. I think it's going to be Wednesdays, uh, our our usual nights. Uh, But just if you just give us a follow, you'll get alerted. And you'll know when we're streaming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've seen. Uh, I've seen. I think Vince do a couple of uh, solo streams here and there. So yeah, we're, we're, he's trying out Saturdays uh, oh. because certain substances are legal in the state of New York. Oh, uh, <laughs> but yeah, come come check out that Noah. Where can the good people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter uh, and. Generally, most places as uh, at Kamen Otaku. That's K A K A M E N O T A K U. So Twitter, Tumblr, co-host, which I've done nothing with my co-host. I might, I might put all my wrestling opinions on the co-host. Ooh, about it because um, uh, I don't know. I, I watch a lot of AEW wrestling. Uh, I'm starting to watch some more WWE. Though um, so I don't know how long that'll last with Vince. <laughs> coming back who knows um, who knows but uh and, you know i get i get thoughts i get like hey this is where i'd like to see some of these storylines go uh so i might just go put those on my co-host because it's kind of separated from everything else if you want just garbage like content and retweets and stuff like that follow me on my twitter follow me on my tumblr if you want wrestling opinions go look out go look for my my co-host um i also have an instagram i think i'm gonna start taking pictures of some of the models i've been building because i build a bunch of warhammer models and i'll put them on there i'm gonna finally start painting here soon but uh but yeah that's that's me twitter mm-hmm. tumblr go host common otaku k-a-m-e-n-o-t-a-k-u a, a man of multitudes um <laughs> i do anime i do warhammer <laughs> managers i do wrestling the the nerd trifecta i'm a mess <laughs> You're interesting. Oh, thank you. You like cool things. <laughs> I like you. That makes you cool. <laughs> um, and we hope you. Uh, yeah, we haven't talked about it, but here we go. Okay. Um, we are. We're we're gonna do a fourth season. It's come, and it, the time has come. It's time to tackle the the the. I don't know the blank of an. I don't know what it would be of anime. You can't run away from it, Aaron. You mustn't run away. <laughs> uh, no, we we we've, we've tried for three seasons <laughs> to run away. But look, folks, we're getting in that robot. Um, season four, we are covering Neon Genesis Evangelion, the 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 New Testament of anime, <laughs> for several reasons. Um, I mm, I feel like. It might be the Old Testament, considering when it first came out. And oh, fuck. The face of anime. There's, there's a, there's a, is, we, we'll get into it. <laughs> Whether there is a before Evangelion and after Evangelion. 
Okay. All right. This is gonna this is gonna be interesting. <laughs> but it's be real good. I have no I, reasons for it, but it sounds good. It's it's a good title I, to an article. Um, I'm, I'm getting excited for this whole season. It's it's gonna be good. But we are going to try and cover everything. We're covering the original television series, the movies, the rebuilds, um, maybe some of the manga. There might uh, be some. I have the first like three in one mm-hmm. volume. Somewhere behind me. Uh, so yeah, we might we might do a little compare and contrast with that. I think. But uh, yeah, come on this journey as we dissect it. It's going to be interesting to go back to one series uh-huh. uh, that we can live in. Uh, but we hope you'll join us on that journey. Um, hopefully, next month is when we'll be starting that. Yeah, uh, we'll. Uh, I believe we'll also be doing it as uh, the original ADV dub and translation. So the Avon Neon Genesis Evangelion Platinum Collection is what mm-hmm. we both have. So that is going to be a version that we will probably be talking about. Um, I don't. Yeah. I think that's the version we're going to be talking about. We may, I may at least, uh, peek at the newer translation for my own like personal curiosity and report back here and there. But uh, you can play them both side by side, see what happens. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I have two monitors. Mm-hmm. On my right monitor is the original. On my left monitor is the new. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think it was really just I gotta listen to Fly Me to the Moon at the yeah, end of it. The... I can't deal with what Netflix did. Yeah, yeah. So but, but yeah. We're so obviously we're very excited <laughs> about we're very this. excited. Uh, it's it's been a long time since I've watched Evangelion and uh, I am I am ready I'm ready to get in there. <laughs> yeah, join us next time for the start of our fourth season um that we've not named yet. We'll see if it's a goofy name. If um, we've got a a, a placeholder name that i like a lot but we might it might change um but yeah uh again thank you for listening uh and we'll see you next month and uh as always i've been aaron j shelton i've been no card and we've been thinking too hard